You're listening to Semper Reform on the Radio, where the Bible alone and the Bible in its entirety is applied to all of life. There are many people who do not want to hear the truth because it will shake up the false hope they have that they're going into heaven when indeed they are not. Christ is our King. Scripture is our law. Scripture and the laws of our country now collide head on. Now, just to make it clear, we don't bow down to Caesar. So what does Paul do when he gets his big shot at the Areopagus? Watch him. Now, not only has Paul not compromised in order to get here, but once he's here, he says, your worldview is wrong, your philosophy is wrong, it's not just wrong, it's an affront to God, you ought to know better, you're in sin. But the good news is, God has extended to you an opportunity to repent. Alright, I want to welcome everybody to Semper Reformanda Radio. My name is Tim, and I'm going to be your host for today. Uh, for those of you who may have a hard time saying our name, it's Semper Reformanda Radio. And you know who you are. Um, you know who you are, okay? But <laughs> um, we are part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network, and I want to say thank you to Tim and Len for all that they've done. I wanted to encourage everybody to go and check out the Bible Thumping Wingnut webpage. That's BibleThumpingWingnut.com. And it's it's actually really cool. I really, I'm really impressed with it. And I'm really excited to be a part of it because one of the neat things that you can do is you can actually create your own profile. And I, I would encourage all of our listeners to, to create their own profile. Then you can send, you can send me a friend request. You can uh, friend request the other people on the network uh, you can friend request the other people on our podcast. Uh, and then what you can do is check this out. You can go to, um, w- once you create a profile and you log in, you have your own uh, profile, you can go to discussions. And then uh, up at the top, um, th- there's there's the Gospel About Us podcast blog. And then discussions. Click on discussions and there's a drop down menu. And you can click on groups. And this will allow you to see all of the groups, all of the, all of the other podcasts. And then what you can do is you can click on join group. And what this does is it allows you to get email notification of uh, whatever that group puts out there. So if somebody puts out a, a podcast or if somebody puts out a blog, you can actually get email notifications and check out what they're what you basically just keep up with uh, what they're putting out there. We're going to be putting out some blogs. Um, I, I already have them written. I just I need to put them out. I need to sit down and take the time to put them out. Uh, and then there's others that I'm I'm still trying to write. Uh, Carlos is is uh, Carlos was writing a couple of articles, and it seems like they're turning into books because they're they're long. But we've got some some good stuff uh, coming out. Uh, and so just uh, I mean we would like for you to join our group. And uh, I mean it's. It's not a competition. Uh, 
we if join the other groups as well if you if you like what they're putting out there it's not a competition but we want to win <laughs> i'm just kidding oh man like i'm afraid that i'm i've started a competition but um we uh we we also want to um just remind everybody that we are we are a ministry under uh the um we're a ministry under straining for the everlasting or no straining for the straining for the ever after with Andre Rapshaput <laughs> Andre Rapshaput uh with straining for the ever after and um so go ahead and check out what Andre's got going on and uh no I'm I'm kidding that's Andrew Rapaport with striving for eternity and he knows why I'm giving him a hard time because he cannot say Semper Reformanda Radio. Whenever he introduces our podcast, he says Super Reformanda. And I can't even, I, I listened to it like four times the last time that he introduced our podcast. I can't even say the word that he's saying. It's actually a, a much more difficult word to say than Reformanda, but it's Super Referendum something like that and i just think it's hilarious it's it's i i i was making a joke about it on facebook because i'm i'm thinking okay we've been here six months like i've been like every time he says it i'm ignoring it and i'm like oh, i'll get it next time i'll get it next time well now i'm i'm telling him like hey you gotta say our name right at least once <laughs> um but he knows he knows why I'm I'm giving him a hard time. Uh, and you know I, I want to be charitable. Maybe, so so maybe it's this. Maybe he just thinks that we are super, and that's why he instead of wanting to say our name, he just wants to say we're super. So maybe that's it. I don't know. But uh, anyways, um, we are we are under we're a ministry under uh, striving for eternity. Check out what Andrew Rappaport has going on. I think it's uh I think it's some great stuff. I really appreciate Andrew, and uh, I really appreciate him letting me give him a hard time. So uh all right, so that, that's enough of giving Andrew a hard time. Uh, but okay, so today uh what we're going to be doing is uh I'm in light of the fact that we've been talking about the uh, lordship controversy and stuff like that, we're, we're hoping to put out a, a another discussion next week which would include Carlos Montijo, Joseph Rios and Gary Edwards. But what I what I want to do is is we're just going to put out uh we're going to play a lecture from the Trinity Foundation from John Robbins on Matthew 7:21 through 23 because I think that this uh this will really help with uh with our perspective in in dealing with some of the stuff of the lordship uh, controversy it's a, it's an excellent 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 sermon so i mean i just i can't recommend the trinity foundation enough i think that they've got some excellent stuff out there i want to say thank you to tom geodatus for allowing us to put it out there on our on our podcast we we hope that it's a it's a helpful resource to you so we're we're gonna play that in just a minute, but I also wanted to uh, let everybody know that we're we're hoping to do some stuff with Timothy Kaufman regarding the apparitions of Mother Mary and regarding some other uh, Catholic issues. So be looking forward uh, for that in the future. 
But um, I, I want to say thank you to everybody for tuning in. And I hope that you're blessed by this message. And we'll check you next week. God bless. Good morning. If you will turn in your scriptures to Matthew chapter 7. And let us stand for the reading of God's word. I will begin reading at verse 13. Matthew 7 beginning at verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Please be seated. Now of this passage of scripture, I'd like to focus this morning on simply the last three verses, verses 21, 22, and 23. But I wanted to read the whole passage to emphasize that Christ's prophecy about the last judgment is set in the context of a warning about false prophets. That is the context of his prophecy about the last judgment. In verse 21, he begins, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And this passage, these three verses, are a frequently misunderstood passage of Scripture. At first glance, Christ seems to be teaching salvation by works. He contrasts those who say, Lord, Lord, but do not work, or apparently do not work, with those who say, or those who he says, do the will of my Father in heaven. That's the superficial reading of this passage. That's what it seems to say. The 1994 Catechism of the uh, Roman Catholic Church cites this very verse to support its view that, and I quote from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, each one of us should hope with the grace of God, to persevere to the end and to obtain the joy of heaven as God's eternal reward for the good works accomplished with the grace of Christ. Well, that's a quote from the Catholic Catechism 1994. Now, even some non-Catholics have the same understanding of this passage. They refer to Christ's message as a message of works here. But if you look at that passage a little bit more closely, as we intend to do this morning, uh, perhaps we'll see something slightly different. 
It's, it appears to say, it appears to contrast here in this verse, people who say, Lord, Lord, but do not obey or do not do any works with those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And the warning is that Christ offers or appears to be here is that not everyone who says these words, not everyone who acknowledges Christ as Lord uh, will go to heaven but only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. And that, of course, seems to contradict uh, other passages of Scripture in which simple belief, simple faith is offered as the way of salvation. Uh, he mentions doing in verse 21 here. If you contrast that with Acts 16.31, for example, where the statement is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Or you contrast it with Romans chapter 3, verse 28. A man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And Romans 4, 5, uh, to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So there seems to be perhaps a difficulty in understanding what Christ is saying in verse 21, but I trust it won't last long. But we are faced with the immediate question here, is Christ teaching legalism? And I'm using legalism in the strict sense. Is he teaching salvation by obedience to law or salvation by works? Is that what he's teaching? If so, then we have a problem with other passages of Scripture which teach that salvation is through faith alone. Now, I intend to answer this question, uh, but I'm going to save it for the end of my discussion because we need to look at the last of this prophecy uh, to understand the first part of it. Let's go on then to the next verse. And the next verse, verse 22, is quite surprising in a couple of ways. If you look back at verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. And one might draw the inference from that that, well, there will be a few who will not make it into heaven, even though they acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. But notice how Christ begins in verse 22. It's not a few. It's many. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? It's many folks. The not everyone of verse 21 does not mean a few. It means many folks. Some of those who say, Lord, Lord, in the day of judgment will enter heaven, but Christ says many will not even though they acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. Now, this is a day of judgment that we all will face. This is a prophecy. There's no possibility that this will not happen. And we all will be called to account before God for every thought, word, and deed that we have done in the body. This is not a parable. This is not an imaginary event. This is a prophecy. 
And when we are called to account, we will have to answer for ourselves. There will be no lawyers there to help us. There will be no pastor. There will be no priest. There will be no parent. There will be no teacher. There will be no friends. We will be answering for ourselves. We will be held individually responsible. Notice that these people, in verse 22, answer for themselves. Many will say to me in that day, they do not send their lawyers, they do not send their priests, they do not send their pastors or their elders. They say, and they speak to Christ directly themselves, and they will appeal to Christ. Notice the appeal. They preface it, Lord, 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 Lord. This will happen. Christ is not exaggerating. This is not, again, imaginary. This is exactly what will happen in the day of judgment. They will stand before Christ and they will address him as Lord. We're told in the scripture that at the end of time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it will. But that doesn't mean that Every tongue and every knee will be saved. We're told here that these people will acknowledge him as Lord and they will be damned. They will not be saved. They will not enter heaven. Despite the fact that they acknowledge him as Lord. Now notice what they say to the Lord. Notice what they say. Notice what they will say. You can speak in the past because it is so certain that this will happen. We can treat it as a past event. But notice what they will say. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now, there are several things we ought to notice about that question. First, these are not pew warmers. These are not folks who come on Sunday morning and do nothing the rest of the week. These are folks who have prophesied, they have preached, they have taught, they have cast out demons, and they have worked wonders. These are not pew warmers. These are not empty professors, as you might have been led to believe by verse 21. These are not folks who say something and do nothing. These are folks who do the greatest works among men. They have preached. They have prophesied. They have cast out demons. They have worked wonders. These are the greatest works among men that these folks have done. And these folks are not exaggerating either. This is the last judgment. They're not standing there lying. And there's no suggestion that they are. Christ does not answer them and say, well, you didn't do any of those things. He does not correct them. This is a report of what they have done. This is a report of what they have done. So their profession is not a profession without works. They have been extremely active, and they have done what is, in fact, the greatest works done among men. 
Now we can further learn from their question here that uh, they were churchgoers. Notice that they add the phrase after all of these works that they have done, we have done this in your name. These are not pagans. These are not people who are ignorant of the name of Jesus Christ. They have done these works in the name of Jesus Christ. They have preached, they have prophesied, they have worked wonders and cast out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. These are not folks in Africa who never heard the name. These are not folks in Greece before the time of Christ who never heard the name. These are not people who were uninformed of Christ. These were folks who did all these deeds uh, in the name of Christ. And these deeds are extraordinary. These deeds are extraordinary. If you think about it, none of us has done anything or will do anything, even as remotely as impressive as these people. None of us has done anything or will do anything as spectacular as these people. These people that Christ says will not be allowed to enter heaven. Now, if that's the case, if that's the case, if their works far outshine ours, what hope is there for us? What hope is there for us? If Christ will send these people to hell, what hope is there for us? If he will turn them away from heaven at the last judgment and turn them into everlasting punishment reserved for the devil and his ministers, what hope is there for us? And the Christian answer is, if we rely on our own works, we have no hope. The Christian answer is, if we rely on our own works, we have no hope. At the last judgment, the pleas, the defense of these church leaders, these are active folks. These are not people who come and are not active in the churches. These are active folks. At the last judgment, their pleas will be their works. That is what they are saying. Look at what we have done. Look at what we have done. And Jesus says, depart from me, you who work lawlessness. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. If these folks are sent to hell, then certainly our works cannot be the basis for our entering into heaven. What do these folks not say in their defense? What do they not say at the last judgment in their own defense? What do they not utter a syllable about? They do not mention the life, the death, 
and the resurrection of Christ. Say, haven't we prophesied? Haven't we worked wonders? Haven't we cast out demons? They do not mention the righteousness of Christ. They do not mention the substitutionary atonement of Christ. They do not mention the satisfaction of the Father's justice on their behalf by Christ. They do not mention the propitiation of the wrath of the Father by Christ. They do not mention Christ as Savior. And because they do not mention Christ as Savior, they are not saved. They are not saved any more than the demons who believe in God. James warns us. says the demons believe in God. And they're demons. That's not enough. These folks obviously believe on believe something about God. They obviously believe something about Christ, but they do not believe that Christ is their Savior. There's even a demon reported in the first chapter of Mark, verses 23 and 24, who recognizes exactly who Jesus is. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And he's a demon and he will go to hell. He does not acknowledge the gospel. And these folks at the last judgment do not breathe one word about the gospel. One of the things we ought to learn from this warning that Christ gives us here, for he gives us this prophecy for our learning and for a warning, is that if we rely on anything, on anything we do, we're lost. We're lost. If these folks who do the greatest works done among men are lost, then surely we're lost. If we appear before Christ at the last judgment and say, well, I attended church for 50 years, we're lost. I served as a deacon or I served as an elder or I served as a pastor, we're lost. If we say, well, I tithe 50% of my income, we're lost. We're lost. If we say, well, I taught in a Christian school or a Christian college all my life, we're lost. We're damned. If we say, I wrote books, we're lost. If we say, I held evangelistic crusades attended by millions, we're lost. We're lost. That's exactly what these men will say. I prophesied in your name. I preached in your name. If we say I raised money for the church, if we say I built hospitals and schools, we're lost. We're absolutely lost. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, the prophet says, all our righteousnesses are filthy rags. All, all our righteousnesses are filthy rags. He does not say, all our unrighteousnesses are filthy rags. He says, all our righteousnesses are filthy rags. At the last judgment, uh, many people... Christ says these churchgoers, these church leaders, will argue with Jesus that they deserve heaven. 
they will argue that they deserve heaven because of what they have done. That is their defense. We deserve heaven because of what we have done. They do not confess themselves to be sinners. They believe they are righteous men. Their prayer is not, Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. But, Jesus, I did many good works in your name. And you have to reward me with heaven. That's the argument these folks present. They do not believe in the grace of God. They do not believe in the sinfulness of themselves. Whatever they do believe, whatever message they preached, it wasn't the substitutionary atonement of Christ and the imputation of the righteousness of Christ through faith alone to believers. That was the message they did not preach. That's the message they don't believe. That's the message they don't mention at the last judgment. But the warning that Christ gives here is not just about the futility of works, our works, as a basis for entering heaven. It is more than that and more profound than that. It's a basis or it's a warning about believing some things about God and Jesus, but not the gospel. Many people believe some things about God. And many people believe some things about Jesus. Things which may, in fact, happen to be true. I mentioned the demon in Mark 1 who addresses Jesus as the Holy One of God. And he is the Holy One of God. That's true. But it's not saving. Jesus here tells us that folks, many folks, can believe in God and be lost. He's talking here about people in the Christian churches. They have done these things in the name of Christ. <clears throat> what they don't mention is the summary of the gospel that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. If you'd like to turn there and follow along, I'll read that to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. These many church leaders, these many churchgoers at the Last Judgment will not breathe a word of this. They will not say, Christ died for my sins. They will say, I have preached... I have worked miracles. I have cast out demons. They will not profess the gospel. Turn to Romans 3, if you would, please. Beginning at verse 20. Romans 3. 
By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith, apart from the deeds of the law. Turn over to Romans 5 and look at verse 18. Therefore, as... Through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Many will be made righteous. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel that these lost souls at the last judgment have no belief in. They have no belief in. Look at the next verse, verse 23. <clears throat> and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Just uh, as an incidental remark and aside here, God himself establishes legal procedure in the scriptures. It's established at the last judgment. When we talk about due process, we get our conception of due process from the scriptures. We're sinners. But look at what God does with these folks. Look at what Jesus does with these folks. He allows them to offer their defense. He allows them to present their argument. He does not speak until after they have offered their defense and their argument. And then he pronounces judgment. We're all sinners deserving the immediate punishment for our sins. But he forbears and he treats us as creatures, rational creatures made in his image. They speak and he responds and notices declaration to them. I will declare to them this will happen. This is not a parable. This is not imaginary. 
this is a future event. I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. These folks who had been very active in their churches, leading their churches, says, I never knew you. He's not speaking to folks who are ignorant of the name of Jesus Christ. He is speaking to people who are in the churches. He says, I never knew you. That ought to remind us of Romans 8, 29. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. One theologian has called that the golden chain of salvation. Romans 8, 29. And Christ here says that I never knew you. The process never began. Because I never knew you. I never loved you. I never called you. I never justified you. And I'm not going to glorify you. I never knew you. And notice the never. He doesn't say, well, I once knew you, but you backslid and lost your salvation. He says, I never knew you. Never. They had not been saved at one time and lost at the end of their lives. That's an impossibility. He says, at no time did he know them. At no time. I never knew you. Notice also from his statement that Jesus decides who enters heaven. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Hell is separation from Christ. And he commands them to go. He commands these very active church folk to depart from him. He describes them here in this statement as you who practice lawlessness. You who practice lawlessness. Now, if we had seen these people on earth, we might be impressed with their works. We might be impressed with their works. They cast out demons. They perform wonders. They preached and prophesied. We might be impressed with their works. But Jesus refers to their works as lawlessness. He refers to their works as lawlessness. Why does he do that? Why does he call these spectacular works lawlessness? Because they are seeking to establish their own righteousness by their own works. And that is lawlessness. Legalism is lawlessness. Legalism is lawlessness. The law, as we read earlier, is given for the knowledge of sin. It is not given for the justification of the believer. The law is given for the knowledge of sin. And that is the legal use of the law. To try to use the law in a way of justifying oneself is an illegal use of the law. This is what the Galatian teachers were trying to do. 
and they're cursed by Paul. The law is good when legally used. But when it is misused as the basis for our justification, it is lawlessness. Legalism is lawlessness. And he condemns these people who are trying to establish their own righteousness by their own works as lawless. Our obedience to the law is never the basis of justification. Never. It wasn't in the Old Testament, and it's not in the New Testament. The Old Testament saints are saved the same way the New Testament saints are saved, by belief alone. By belief alone. But there's still that nagging question. What does verse 21 mean? Christ had said back in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What does the phrase, doing the Father's will, mean if it doesn't mean works? I promised earlier I would try to answer this question, and now I'll try. What does this phrase mean if it doesn't mean works? It certainly appears to be works, he who does the will, rather than he who says. Well, Christ used the phrase and similar phrases as a synonym for belief. Look at John 6.40. Look at John 6.40. This is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life. That's the will of the Father. John 6, 28 and 29. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. At another point, when Jesus' mother and brothers were desiring to see him, he ignores them. Matthew 12.50 says, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He's not suggesting that they didn't do the Father's will and that they did no works. But whoever believes in him is my mother and my brother, and my sister. Now, if we understand Christ's warning here in these three verses about the last judgment, we can better understand why this is set in the context of false prophets. Why we can better understand verses 13 through 20 there. The warning about the false prophets. These folks who will appear before Christ, the last judgment, are the false prophets. They are the folks who will appear before Christ and said, we've preached in your name. We've prophesied in your name. We've done wonders. We've done miracles. We've cast out demons. And he sends them to hell. We tend to misread what fruit is when we read the Bible. We think fruit is works. It can be. I'm not ruling it out. Scripture doesn't rule it out. 
but it is primarily doctrine. It is primarily doctrine. These people who go to hell had plenty of works. And if we see them on earth, we will be very impressed by them. But it's their doctrine, their disbelief of the gospel, their belief in their own righteousness that is the bad fruit. It's their doctrine, their belief in their own righteousness, their disbelief in the gospel that sends them to hell. Whatever they preached, and they did preach, they did not preach the righteousness of Christ imputed to believers through faith alone. They did not preach the righteousness of Christ imputed to believers through faith alone. They preached things in Christ's name, but not the gospel. But not the gospel. I'd like to leave you with some questions. And I'll emphasize it again. What Christ is speaking about here is absolutely certain. There will be a judgment. We will all appear in person, individually. We will all be judged. What will be your defense? What will be your plea? Will it be your works? The works you have done in the name of Christ? Will it be your service? Will it be your accomplishments? Or will it be the work of Christ alone? Anyone, Christ says, who relies on his own works or relies on a combination of his works and Christ's works will not enter heaven. Will not enter heaven. Depart from me. Anyone who thinks he deserves heaven will not enter heaven. Anyone who does not consider himself a sinner will not enter heaven. Miracles, prophecies, casting out demons will not help. Judas Iscariot did all three. And he was lost. The son of perdition. Friends, our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ and him crucified. His righteousness and his righteousness alone. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for sending Christ to die for our sins. We acknowledge that we are sinners. We pray for your mercy. We acknowledge that all our righteousnesses are filthy rags. And we plead that you would cover them with the blood of Christ, who died in our behalf and in our place. We thank you for the way of salvation that you have in your mercy extended to us. And we pray that in the last judgment, we too will plead the mercy and the death of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.